Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today we're going to start off with a recipe from smittenkitchen.com for, guess what, Deb's mother-in-law's kugel or not. It's just been tweaked just a little bit, so here's the recipe and the story. Cream cheese noodle kugel. Considering that my parents will celebrate the 40th anniversary of their first date this weekend, it seems only appropriate to use today to shed light on a certain farce. My mother didn't marry my father for his flamenco guitar, his ability to use a hammer and a nail, or his promises to love her for the next hereafter. Nope. She married him because when he, she asked his aunt for the recipe to her delicious noodle kugel, she was told she couldn't have it until she married my father. And so it was. And you might think this story cruel or careless, but really, mother has been telling me and my sister this our whole lives, and my father seems not in the least offended. I only married him for that noodle kugel recipe, she says, and everyone nods and smiles because, well, they've heard it a zillion times before, but also because the kugel is just that good. What's to question? So why haven't I told you about it before? I mean, do we count, need to count how many Jewish holidays have passed in the last year during which I just failed to mention that, by the way, I have a recipe for noodle kugel so good people will give up their singlehood and just have to have unfettered access to it? Well, I haven't told you about it because, and I expect that on this, if there's no other part of the story that you'll follow me, it's mom's recipe. It's what mom makes. Why would I make it? It's her thing. Except... This is the really shameful part. I am not proud. I almost wish I could take it back, pretend that it never happened, and we could just have continued the way things were. And yet, two weeks ago, Alex and I went to Balducci's to pick up some things for dinner, and on the way out, tried a sample they were handing out of their noodle kugel from their high holiday menu. And it was so good, I almost offered to marry the guy giving out the red just for the recipe, but I was torn because I already have a kick-ass Google recipe and, oh right, I'm also already married. I couldn't stop thinking about its cream cheesiness and the tartness of the dried cherries. And while it was not better than what I know, because there are no betters, just difference when it comes to family heirloom recipes, I had to try to recreate it at home. Thus, it was with a heavy and stereotypically guilt-ridden heart that I tell you this, that this adapted kugel recipe is awesome, like really, really good. And though I feel like I have gone against the family or something fixing what was not broken, I suspect that there are people out there whose existences did not come to pass because of the original kugel recipe that might enjoy this newfangled one. You don't even have to marry anyone to get it, right? So, update. You guys, or a lot of you are home during the day, aren't you? Yes, it's true. Myself and a few other bloggers were invited to attend the Martha Stewart show on Tuesday under the guise of spending the day seeing the offices and meeting and greeting with the new advertised partners. Little did we know. There was a meeting, but we were also led to the front row and affixed with name tags. Mine said Smitten Kitchen. 
<laughs> actually smitten kitten, actually. While Martha talked about blogging and the camera focused on us, I pretty much died of embarrassment. Did I ever have mention how much that I hate being in front of the camera? Oh, so much. Nonetheless, despite all this grousing, something really cool did happen. Martha Stewart called Smitten Kitchen a very cute website, and as I think we already know how I feel about her, it's pretty cool to know that the feeling is returned, or the teleprompter returns the feeling. Hey, I'm not picky. But here's the recipe for the noodle Google after all those asides. The truth is, I didn't change the recipe that much. I used less butter, switched to the salted stuff, swapped cottage for cream cheese, and added dry cherries. All right, fine, that's a lot. But you see, even tradition is forgiving to adaptation. Who knew? You'll need one pound of wide egg noodles, two eight-ounce packages of cream cheese, softened, one pound, 16 ounces of creamed cottage cheese, full fat, one and a half cups of sugar, one stick of salted butter, melted, plus more for greasing the baking dish, eight eggs, two teaspoons of vanilla, one teaspoon of cinnamon, one cup of dried cherries. You're going to preheat the oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit and then grease a 9 by 13 glass baking dish. Parboil the noodles 5 to 7 minutes and drain them in a colander. In a very large bowl, you're going to beat the cream cheese until it's fluffy, add cottage cheese and beat for another minute, scrape down the uh, bowl really well, and then add sugar and combine, then melted butter and scrape down the bowl another time. Add the eggs one at a time, beating between additions. Add cinnamon, vanilla, and mix, and then stir in the dried cherries. Finally, carefully mix in the drained egg noodles. Pour into a prepared baking dish and bake for one hour before checking to see if the center is set. It may need up to 30 minutes more. Yes, I know that this range is crazy, but I've baked kugels that either, at either end of the range, so they refuse to be predictable. I hope you enjoy it. It's pretty awesome. Next recipe is for pasta and fried zucchini salad. Every time I make an Odalangi recipe, I become convinced that he has finally lost his mind. Really, turmeric, black sesame seeds, and parmesan together... Three tablespoons of fresh oregano, a half full half cup of tahini, and as my anxiety grows, you see, I too understand the bubble of time, ingredients, and trust that we invest into new recipes, which, when popped, leads to the kind of frustration that can only be righted with a scalding review. I wonder if this will be it. The day I finally make an Odalangi recipe, that's just plain off. And without fail, we sit down to something so spectacular in a way that I hadn't even considered before. I am in awe of his talent and re relieved that I ignored every instinct not to follow his recipe faithfully. This one was no different. It looks like a basic pesto pasta, doesn't it? But it's not really. Sure, there's basil and olive oil, but it lacks the other ingredients of pesto genovese, garlic, toasted pignoli and parmesan. Instead, basil is blended with flat leaf parsley and the zest of a whole lemon, tablespoons of capers, and torn chunks of fresh mozzarella stirred in. The star of the show is three zucchini 
cut into thin discs, fried until golden, and then soaked in a bit of red wine vinegar to make something that's neither crisp nor chip-like nor pickled, but more intriguing than all three. And then there's the edamame. Yes, the soybeans popular in East Asian dishes here in a pasta-pesto combo. I couldn't do it. It was too strange to me, and I became bent on securing fresh shelling peas, which I thought would be fantastic here, only to leave the green market in a pallet because I was still carrying 10-plus pounds of things I hadn't intended to buy, as always, because they're not in yet. So now I know that everyone is keen on frying vegetables for a weeknight dinner, but I would argue that it's the easiest way to do this. Roasting a zillion thin discs would take forever and never come out so evenly brown. And does anyone else do this? At least according to my measuring cup, the zucchini absorbed all of the single tablespoon of oil in the frying process. Considering how much I'd use for roasting or sautéing, I'd consider this a good deal. The resulting dish was one of the best things that we've eaten in a while. A glorious, green, complex, and vegetal summer pasta dish that I kicked myself for suggesting that my husband take the leftovers to work. In case you were wondering if I'm actually a nice person, I mean, sometimes I am, just not with Odalangi leftovers, it seems. Here's the recipe, pasta and fried zucchini salad, adapted barely, but from Plenty, the cookbook by Yotam Odalangi. This serves four you will need salt and black pepper, two-thirds a cup of sunflower or safflower oil, or any type of oil that you like for deep frying, three medium zucchini cut into one-quarter inch thick slices, salt, one and a half tablespoons of red wine vinegar, three-quarters cups of frozen edamame or peas, fresh or frozen, two cups of basil leaves, coarsely chopped, one-quarter cup of parsley leaves, one-third cup of olive oil, freshly ground black pepper, nine ounces of strozzapreti or penne pasta, zest of one lemon, one and a half tablespoons of capers or more to taste, my husband votes for two, seven ounces of buffalo mozzarella torn into chunks, then bring a large pot of salted water to a boil. While you're waiting, in a medium saucepan or skillet, heat the sunflower oil over medium-high heat. Fry zucchini slices in batches for about three to four minutes, flipping once until golden on both sides. And I've got an update to add to this recipe. If your zucchini isn't browning right away, bump up the heat until it does in just a few minutes. Drain in the colander, shaking with a couple pinches of salt. Then transfer to a large bowl and pour vinegar on top. Set aside. In the hot water, cook the edamame for three minutes, frozen peas for three to four minutes, or fresh peas for one to two minutes to taste. Drain and run cool water over until lukewarm. Set aside to dry. Leave the pot boiling and then cook the pasta until al dente in it. Drain and rinse under cold water. Combine half of the basil and all of the parsley and olive oil in a food processor or blender. Blend until smooth, then season with salt and pepper. Transfer pasta back to the empty pot 
add the fried zucchini and any juices, parsley, basil oil, edamame or peas, lemon zest, capers, and mozzarella. Stir gently together, then season generously with salt and pepper. And right before you serve it, stir in the remaining basil leaves. As far as doing ahead, a assembled dish keeps in the fridge for at least a day, or so I hear. doesn't happen at our house. Okay, the next recipe is for raspberry streusel muffins. Once upon a time, I spent approximately a whole summer making blueberry muffins. Gripped with an obsession that would be worrisome anywhere but this page, to make what I hope would be the last blueberry muffin recipe we'd ever need, You'd think that all that the path to these raspberry muffins would be simpler, but it took five raspberry seasons to get here. A very logical question you're about to ask is, why not just swap the blueberries in your blueberry muffins with raspberries? And the answer is that while it works, they're not bad at all. They're just not the raspberry muffin that I dreamed of. These are, and they're utterly perfect, Hefty, moist, lemony, not too sweet, and absolutely tie-dyed with a constellation of raspberries inside. I think they might be the best muffins I've ever had, and here's what I've learned along the way. As far as raspberries, let me just get this out of the way. The correct amount of raspberries for six muffins is half a pound, or about one and two-thirds to one and three-quarters cups. This is a higher berry concentration than the blueberry muffins, Raspberries are not blueberries. They spill less into the batter around them, so you need more to get the right oomph. As far as frozen raspberries, because fresh raspberries can be particularly pricey, rather rather than telling you to go for it, if you want to use frozen raspberries instead, I developed these with them. This was the the surprise. Frozen raspberries work even better here. Because we stir them in still frozen, they don't get juicy until they're baked. So you end up with a thicker muffin batter that comes, that domes higher and it spreads less. But I just went raspberry picking, you say. Well, first I'm jealous. Second, yes, you can still use them here, but just keep in mind that the muffins can be flatter. As far as size, on a rushed, distracted morning at the end of the school year, I realized that if you accidentally divide my perfect blueberry muffin batter into six muffins instead of the intended nine, you get an even more towering, generous, bakery-like muffin that feels every bit like the gift I'd mentioned and intended them to be for the teachers. In this recipe, that size is not an accident. It makes six, and it's easily doubled to make 12. The muffin's clock is in at four to five ounces each, and more than one-third of that weight is from raspberries, but they're made in a standard size tin. So, I told you they were dreamy. As far as streusel goes, I don't make the rules of the universe. I cannot explain to you why raspberry muffins need streusel, but blueberry muffins do not. But just trust me that the streusel here is non-negotiable. Yet I loathe making a muffin batter and scooping it out only to realize I have another step, making a quote-unquote quick streusel. In Smitten Kitchen Keepers, peach crumb muffins, I ran into this as well, but it gnawed at me that streusel is just butter, sugar, and flour, right? And that's already in the batter. A bit of math later, my solution is to work on the streusel step into the early part of the batter, so when you're done, you are really done. 
Speaking of teachers, the Smitten Kitchen Classroom Wish List Project 2023 is now live. In the U.S., a tremendous number of teachers don't get the funding that they need to set their classrooms up for success, and most will end up paying out of their own pockets to buy educational materials, which feels all wrong and makes me sad. I've asked teachers to send me their wish lists and hope that we can help clear um, as many as possible as we did last summer. But help out if you feel you're able. You will unquestionably make a teacher's and their student's day. And there's a link for this on smittenkitchen.com. Here's the recipe for the raspberry streusel muffins. It serves six and takes 45 minutes, and the source is Smitten Kitchen. You're going to need five tablespoons of unsalted butter melted, one half teaspoon plus one pinch of kosher salt, slightly heaped one half cup of granulated sugar, one and two thirds cup of all purpose flour divided, half a medium lemon, one large egg, two thirds cup of plain unsweetened yogurt, one and a half teaspoons of baking powder, one quarter teaspoon of baking soda, eight ounces of fresh or ideally frozen raspberries, one and two thirds to one and three quarters cups. You're gonna heat your oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit. Prepare your pan. You're going to very lightly coat the top surface of your muffin tin with non-stick spray or swipe it with butter. This ensures the muffin spillover releases easily. Line 6 cups with muffin liners. If you're using a 12 cup pan, space them out and pour about 1 tablespoon of water into each empty cup which will keep the empty pockets from burning. Um, In order to make the streusel, you're going to, in a large bowl, mix the butter sugar, a pinch of salt, and a cup, one cup, of the flour until it forms a clumpy mixture. Scoop out one quarter cup, about 45 grams, and set it aside in a small bowl. This will be your streusel topping. Make the muffin batter. You're going to finely grate the zest of your lemon half into the large bowl with the remaining streusel in it, then juice the lemon half over it too. Add yogurt and egg and whisk to combine as smoothly as you can, but it's okay if the batter doesn't fully even out. Sprinkle the surface of the batter with baking powder, baking soda, and the remaining one-half teaspoon of salt, and whisk to thoroughly combine, going several times more around the bowl than seems necessary. Add the remaining two-thirds cup of flour and all the berries and stir gently just until the flour disappears. Divide the batter between six prepared muffin caps, or excuse me, muffin cups, and then go ahead and heap it in as much as needed. Divide the reserved streusel between muffin tops and use your fingers to push any that lands on the muffin tin back to a nearby muffin. So then you're going to bake the muffins for 25 to 30 minutes until a toothpick inserted from the top to the center of the muffin comes out batter-free and let come cool completely in the pan. As far as doing ahead, these muffins keep phenomenally. I keep them either in their baking pan or on a plate uncovered so they don't get mushy on top. And they've been excellent even on day three and not bad at all on day four. As far as notes, raspberries by the cup. Just a heads up that while technically every ingredient is more accurate when measured by weight, raspberries are particularly so. They're hollow. 
When frozen, they take up more space and a cup per ounce. When defrosted or very ripe and fresh, they collapse and take up less space per ounce in a cup. For frozen raspberries, you're going to use the higher cup suggestion, one and three quarters cups. But for very ripe fresh, use the lower amount. That's one and a half cups. As far as doubling the recipe, yes, you can absolutely double this recipe to make 12 muffins. No change is needed. When you double the sugar, simply measure one cup plus one tablespoon. So next recipe is going to be just an easy peasy one, how to make whipped cream. So homemade whipped cream leaves the canned and God forbid bucket stuff in the dust. It's actually whipped and it's cream and takes less than five minutes to make. The trick, a cold bowl, clean beaters, and a ratio of about one cup of heavy or whipping cream to a one tablespoon of powdered sugar beaten until it holds soft peaks. Start low so you don't splash yourself when it's still a liquid and add a splash of flavoring, either vanilla or almond or a liqueur at the end for just some extra awesomeness. Our next recipe is for strawberry rhubarb pecan loaf. This makes one loaf. You're gonna need three quarters cups of light brown sugar packed, one third cup of vegetable oil, one egg, one half teaspoon of vanilla, one tablespoon rum, one cup of flour, one quarter cup of whole wheat flour, one half a teaspoon of salt, one teaspoon of baking soda, one quarter cup of sour cream, one half cup of diced rhubarb, one half cup of sliced strawberries, one quarter cup of chopped pecans. Topping, this is optional, one tablespoon of granulated sugar, one quarter teaspoon of cinnamon, three to three and a half tablespoons of flour, two tablespoons of butter melted, and one quarter cup of chopped pecans or walnuts. Beat together the brown sugar, vegetable oil, egg, vanilla, and rum. Combine the flours, salt, and baking soda, and stir. Add the dry ingredients to the first mixture with the sour cream, and then stir in strawberries, rhubarb, and pecans. Spread into a greased 9 by 5 inch loaf pan. The batter will be very thick. Combine the topping ingredients except the pecans and they should be thick and clumpy. Add the pecans last and sprinkle over the loaf. Bake at 350 degrees for about 55 to 65 minutes or until a wooden pick or cake tester inserted in the center comes out clean. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.